You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. My name is Shane. I'd like to welcome you to the March 2011 edition of this podcast. Uh, We've got a special treat today because we're going to get to listen to uh, Perry's first session, main session talk from Unleashed 2011, where he addresses the subject, Five Things We Must Do as leaders. But before we get to that, I want to quickly remind you of a couple things that are coming up this year at New Spring. The first is September the 8th, 2011. We'll have our second New Spring Leadership Conference, which is a great event you do not want to miss. Go to unleash.cc to sign up for that in one day's time, really from 8.30 in the morning till 6 p.m. in the evening. You'll hear from Perry, Stephen Furtick, Judd Wilhite, Greg Rochelle, Andy Stanley, Judah Smith, and it will be a great, great day. You do not want to miss that. Also, I wanted to mention uh, in November, uh, specifically November 14th through the 16th, Perry's going to be having what we're calling a leadership intensive. It's basically uh, Perry's senior pastor coaching network content uh, modified a bit for any church leader. Again, let me say that any church leader, you do not have to be a senior pastor at your church. Uh, And it's going to be limited to 50 people uh, for three days. Uh, And so you can go to unleash.cc to sign up for that as well. So take advantage of those things that are coming up. And with that, I want you guys to lock in and listen to Perry talking about the five things we must do. How are we doing? Everybody good? Wow. That that was awesome. I mean, I just... uh, I've had people go, um, now I get tired of some songs, and I'm like, man, you're going to hate heaven because they're going to wear the same song out. Uh, it's it's going to be one song. It's just going to be Jesus, and we're going to sing that for about a million years. So if you hate the same songs, heaven's going to suck for you, all right? I just, God, it's awesome. Um, we're so honored that, that you're here. Seriously, we're blown away that you would... Um, travel to the booming metropolis of Anderson, South Carolina, to um, hang out with us. Uh, Shane asked this earlier. I didn't get to see. How many of this, um, this is your first time to um, an Unleashed conference? Wow. Okay, wow. How many of you returning um, visitors, guests, or whatever? All right, good. Yeah, equal. equal yeah, that's awesome. Man, I'm so pumped that you guys are here. And um, I, hope, I hope that you figure out by the time you leave that we don't know what we're doing. Um, I, I really hope you find, because there's just days in ministry that you wake up and you go, I don't know what I'm doing. And that just means um, you're in ministry because we don't know what we're doing. We'll talk more about that um, later on this afternoon. It'll be a lot of fun. Anyway, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, um, you know, I turned 40 in June. This June, I turned 40. How many people are 40 or old, older? 40 or older? Whoa. Bunch of old people up in the house today. How many are under 40? How many are under 40? Always excited about it, yeah. How many are under 20? Under 20. I can't wait to see what your generation does with the church. I can't wait. I can't wait. We'll talk more about that later. Um, there, there's a, I, I disciple a group of um, high school students, and I think they all cut school today. And I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I don't know, I don't even know if there's a verse for, like, don't cut school. But they cut school to come to church. So I'm thinking that might be okay. God, somebody's going to get in trouble. Anyway, um, I realized I was getting older because I remember when I was a kid that 40 was old. You remember looking at 40-year-old people going, that's old. And I realized that was me when I went to see the, um, the eye doctor. I'm, I've got horrible, horrible, horrible eyes, and I'm sitting in, in the eye doctor's chair, and he's kind of looking at me, and I hear my eye doctor. He's looking in his things. You know, he's always so close, and, and, and he uses breath mints, so that's good. So he's right there, and he's kind of looking at that thing, and he, go, he literally goes, uh-oh. <laughs> now, you don't ever want to hear your doctor say, uh-oh. Now, I, seriously, at least it was the eye doctor and not a colonoscopy, but either way, you don't ever <laughs> want to hear the doctor say, uh-oh. And I was like, what do you mean, uh-oh? He's like, dude, your eyes are jacked up. I was like, what do you mean my eyes are jacked up? He said, he said I think we're going to have to go to bifocals. I was like, see, we ain't going to bifocals, Doc. We, we just ain't going to do that. He's like, fine, you're not going to be able to read. And he, he told me, I, just, I walked away from the eye doctor thinking, man, the older you get, sometimes your vision gets worse, and you've got to readjust your vision. 
The second thing happened to me, um, and this has probably happened to every one of you, but it's happened to me more, more often now. I live probably um, five miles from here. Um, it takes me about seven or eight minutes to get home, unless I'm driving a friend of mine's Mustang. He's let me borrow a Mustang, and that, I can get there in two. And I, I went out. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I went out in the, I went out in the parking lot the other day. I, I got in my car. I cranked it up. The very next thing I remember, I was in my driveway. I don't remember driving home. And I hadn't been drinking much. So it was... I, I drove all the way home not paying attention to the scenery, not paying attention to where I was going. I just, I, I just was in my driveway. And I was like, how did that happen? It's because I'm getting old. But as I think about where we are as church leaders today, you know what? As we get more into this thing, sometimes we got to adjust our vision because our vision can go bad. And sometimes, as church leaders, we can get so caught up in Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. Because you know what? Every week, Sunday just gets here, doesn't it? That we lose sight of what it is God called us to do. More important, who, is, who it is that he is and then what we're supposed to be doing with the church. I mean, he's given us the church and said, I want you to use this to reach the world. And so I was, reading through the, I was reading through the Gospels several months ago, and I came across Matthew 25. Now, Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 are fascinating to me because Jesus is talking about the end of the world. Now, I don't know when the end of the world's going to be. The Mayans thought it was going to be, what, in 2012? And everybody's, oh, and I'm like, if they're so smart, where are they? I mean, they're extinct, so why would you listen to them? <laughs> and you got these idiots traveling around, on, telling, it's, what is it, May 21st is supposed to end? Have y'all seen that? And I'm like, I, I, if it does, praise God, I'm ready. I just don't think we know. I just don't think we know. But Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 is talking about the end of the world, and he's talking about all this stuff. And in Matthew 25, he talks about these sheep and goats. Now, let me just say this, and I want you to hear me out. I don't want you to get offended yet. And if you get offended and leave, we got your money, and you only paid $39, and so you know, just, just listen. Um, I think these verses have been hijacked by social justice ministries. And, and I want you to understand that when Jesus was here, he started the church to preach the gospel. And I'm all about social justice, but social justice without Jesus is social injustice because you save, somebody from etern- you save somebody from hell on earth and you damn them to hell for eternity because you don't tell them about Jesus. And so I'm all about the message of Christ and the cross. And somebody needs a blanket. No, they need Jesus. Anyway, we'll get into that. I'm going to read through these verses, and, um, and then we're going to kind of dig into five things I think we must do if we really want to adjust our vision and be the church that God's called us to be. And let's go read through these. This is a long text, but if you get mad at the long text, remember these are the words of Jesus. It'll be the best stuff you hear all day. Um, Matthew 25, verse 31. The Bible says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So there are two distinct groups. There's sheep and there's goats. He will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Look at this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I want to stop right here. Jesus is talking about the church. He, he, plant, he started the church in Matthew 16. So we're just a few chapters later. Jesus is talking about the church. He's talking about church. This, this is beautiful. Let's keep reading. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then it gets a little hardcore. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's hell, by the way. That's hell. There really is a hell. There really is a hell. God saved us from hell, sending his son Jesus. Love wins. Let's keep reading. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. 
I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? These people were very self-focused, 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 self-focused. We call these committees self-focused, (laughs) self-focused. He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Five things out of this text I think we've got to do. Five things if we really want to get our vision right. Five things, I believe. And the, listen, these, might, these not, might not work for your church, but these are five things that we're doing here at New Spring Church that we are focused on with laser-like intensity. Number one, we must make Jesus the end goal of all we do. We must make Jesus the end goal of all we do. As you came in today and you, you listened to our worship set, hopefully you figured out that we really are all about Jesus Because Jesus is the end goal of all that we do. Now, in this text, as you're reading reading through the text, you're like, where in the world do you get that? Well, Jesus said, I'm just going to read it to you again in verse 35. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Now, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Exactly. So... Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Who was he talking about in this passage? He was talking about himself. Because in John chapter 6, he identified himself as food. He identified himself as the bread of life. Now, I don't know about you, but I like bread. I love bread. I love, I love bread. I, I love, listen, I'm not a, I, I do not discriminate. I love bread. I love tortilla chips at Mexican restaurants. That's bread. I love the garlic cheese biscuits at Red Lobster. That's bread. You know what I'm saying? Praise God up in here. I, like, I think a Presbyterian said amen right there. That's nice. Dang. It's awesome. We'll have a drink after the service. I, I, like, I like all kinds of bread because bread is filling. Bread fills you up. Bread nurtures you. And I, I, think, I think it's so cool here that Jesus said, you gave me something to eat. What's he talking about? The bread of life. When people come to our churches, we need to offer them Jesus because he is the bread of life who can literally fulfill the hunger that they walked in the doors with that they might not have even known they had. I love the fact that Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Jesus identified himself in John chapter 4 and a few other places as the living water. The living water. Jesus identified himself as the living water. People are walking in our churches dehydrated and starving, and they need the living water and the bread of life, which is why that we've got to make Jesus the end goal of everything we do. Now, there's a big joke on our staff about me. There's a lot of big jokes about me, but one of the, one of the consistent jokes is if we go out to dinner, like if I went out to, to dinner with a group of you tonight, my food would get messed up. It's always my food. It's never anybody else's food. It's my food. It, it just does They're going to cook my steak wrong. They're going to give me a potato when I ask for broccoli. I mean, they're, they're just going to mess up my food. And I remember one, on one particular Sunday, we had finished the service. We went, went out to eat. There's a group of people at the table. They brought everybody their food, and they never brought me my food. They just didn't bring me my food. And the waitress said, can I get you all anything else? And I was like, yes, ma'am. I said, um, I, you can get me my food. She said, oh, I didn't bring it, did I? I was like, ding, ding, you're a winner. Uh, I didn't say that because I'm nice, but I was thinking it, thought it. And I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't get my food. And so she's like, oh, oh, I'll get you, get you some more food. She left. We didn't see her for like 10 minutes until she came back. And there's like seven people at the table. And, and another waitress actually came back, and she's filling up everybody's glass. And she's like, can I get anybody else anything? And I was like, yes, ma'am. You can hook me up with my food. She said, you didn't get your food? I was like, no, ma'am, I ain't got my food. She left. Like 10 or 15 minutes later, the original waitress comes back with our check. <laughs> she puts it on the table, and she goes, well, and I was like, ma'am, I said, excuse me, before you leave, I said, see this right here, see this, this thing right here, this item on the ticket? She said, yes, sir, I see that. I said, can you take that off? Can you just kind of take that off? And she said, oh, sir, was it not good? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. You didn't bring me the food. She said, I'll go get the manager. I'm like, if they better bring some food when they, I mean, and so every time I drive by that restaurant now, I've got a little bit of a bitterness because they never brought the food. 
I think the reason a lot of people in America are getting discontent with church is because they showed up and the church didn't bring the food. We didn't bring the living water. We didn't bring the bread of life. We brought them an agenda. We brought them who should you vote for. We brought them let's save the earth. I got a little tense in here. God is not green. Kermit's green. God's not. We brought them, listen, the church don't have an agenda. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And if you've got an agenda, I would like to say, to hell with your agenda. If it doesn't have Jesus in it. Because that's exactly where that agenda is going to wind up one day. In hell. Because only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can save. That's why we've got to make the gospel the center of everything we do. There's churches all over America today. Do it. Oh, we need people. We need people. What are we going to do? Let's do a sex series. Oh, people show up for a sex series. And they will. We put up a little cute billboard. Hey, hey listen, we've done that. We haven't done a sex series yet. We need to do that. Now, don't raise, I'm, not, I'm not cracking on your church for doing a sex series. I'm not cracking on your church for doing a marriage series. I'm not cracking on your church for doing really something controversial that pulls people in, but you understand the goal of getting people in the door is to tell them about Jesus. And if people show up at your church and learn how to have better sex, but they die and go to hell, did you win? Did you win? No. Our agenda is the living water, the bread of life, Jesus. And so any series we do, we just did a marriage series. We publicized the marriage series. We sent out little direct mail pieces for the marriage series. We did all this stuff for the marriage series. People showed up to hear about marriage. And three, during that series, 350 people gave their lives to Christ. Because we preached the gospel. The church and the message of Jesus Christ is our... That, 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 that's got to be our obsession. And if not... We fail. Going back to social justice, listen, man, I'm, all, I'm, I'm proud of social justice ministries. I'm, I'm glad they're out there. I'm glad they're doing stuff. But it's not the message of Jesus, and they can't call themselves the church. Because the church, listen, what if they would, what, in Acts chapter 2, what if they would have approached ministry the way a lot of churches are approaching ministry today with a social justice minus Jesus mindset? In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, have you all read about that? That was awesome. Like tongues of fire came and rested on the top of every person, like right there. I'm from a Baptist background. We didn't talk about that that much. But tongues of fire were like right there. Can you, can you, hey, hey dog, you got something? Oh, dang, that's okay. you got one too. And, and, and like, but you're speaking Spanish and so you didn't know. And so it's a loud noise happened. It's like, boom. I mean, I mean, the holy, isn't it funny that we want to control the church, but the two elements that the Holy Spirit identifies with in Acts 2 are wind and fire. And what happens when you get wind and fire together? You can't control it. You can't control it. Anyway, all the committees got nervous. Anyway, so I, 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 what if they would have taken a social justice mindset? Thousands of people would have came running and Peter would have said, now guys, let's not get excited. We don't want to offend them. Let's give them some coffee and a blanket smile really big and maybe they'll ask us about Jesus 3,000 people would have gone to hell Peter was like all right let me tell y'all what the problem is y'all killed Jesus y'all a bunch of fools but he got up he's alive and if you don't receive him in your life you're gonna go to hell let's pray Thousands are coming. Why don't you come? And people started responding to the invitation. People don't need a blanket. They need Jesus. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. The beggar holds out his cup. He's like, can you give me some, can you give me some money? You know what people in the church would do today? They'd give him money. Peter and John were like, we broke. We in the ministry. 
Church's motto is, God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. We're broke, man. He didn't need money. He needed Jesus. And they said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And when he got up and walked, he started leaping and dancing and praising God. It got all kind of crazy, but more people showed up. And by Acts chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible said there were 5,000 men. You know why? Because the church declared the message of Jesus. The reason the church isn't advancing today isn't because we don't have the power of God. It's because we've forgotten to talk about the gospel and we've forgotten to lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will will draw all men to myself. We've got to take the message of Christ to the world. Now, I've had people push back and go, well, people in my church get tired of hearing the gospel. I'm like, I beg your pardon? People in my church get tired of hearing the gospel. I'm like, that's because they're obsessed with them and not with him. You mean to tell me that you can get tired of hearing about... Uh, listen, when I hear somebody preach the gospel, and I'm reminded of how far I was from God, and how much sin I had in my life, and how there was nothing I could do to bridge that gap between me and God, and Jesus knew everything about me, and received me anyway, and I, I confessed him as Lord. He power washed my soul, made me into a brand new person. He's called me into ministry, and I get to spend eternity with him. You get tired of that? <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> we have got to be about the message of Jesus, which is why I love the younger generation, because you guys have gotten back to Jesus. You got, don't let an agenda hijack Jesus. Jesus is the reason. Well, you know, people can see us be good. Romans 10, 14 says, how will they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching about Jesus. Number two, this will be fun. We must be more concerned with the outsider rather than the insider. Now, some of you pastors secretly did one of these because you've got some of those insiders with you today, don't you? Don't raise your hand. Don't say amen. Don't even laugh. Look mad. Look at him. He's not talking about you. He's not talking about you. Cool. We got any church finance people here today? Church finance people? Anybody? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Welcome, Judas. Anyway, um, I'm not just messing with you. I'm just messing. We got a Judas on staff, too. Um, I got called into ministry early, like I got saved, and the next day I was in ministry. Um, I, I'm from a Baptist background, and Baptists, they, they, um, you have in the church what you call in the Baptist church, rope burn victims. Um, they don't volunteer. They got a rope tied around their hands and pulled into ministry. That was me. I got saved on May 27th, and I was like, what do I do? And on, uh, they said, well, you got to teach vacation Bible school. <laughs> I was like, when did that start? They said, Tomorrow. Figured I was going to hell if I didn't show up, so I showed up, and they put me in, like, the sixth grade class. I was like, oh, this is fun. And so, all we, I mean, I just, I began to serve in ministry. Well, the next year, I'd been a Christian for about a year, there was a church that didn't have a youth pastor that I knew about, so I called them, and I said, you, I think you need to hire me as your youth pastor. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So they interviewed me. The, the interview took place on a Sunday afternoon at Burger King. <laughs> and... Um, and, and, and they, they said, we're going to hire you. And so they hired me as a youth pastor. Now, the Sunday before I got there, this is a true story, the Sunday before I got there, I never, I'd never met the pastor. Um, he didn't hire me. Um, the, 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 what is it, the, the personnel committee. <laughs> the Greek for personnel committee is vulture. Anyway, um, the personnel <laughs> committee hired me. And, uh, but the Sunday before I got there, the church literally had a split. The pastor and the worship leader and half the people in the church left. And so I walk in. I'd been a Christian less than a year. And I was the only staff member at this church in the boonies. I mean, I'm talking about I was, it was where the men are men and so were some of the women. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was, I'm at this church and I'm, in a, I'm the only staff member. So they came to me and they said, you got to preach on Sunday night. I was like, awesome. 
And I, I remember I was preaching, I was like, we got to get off our butt. I said that in a little bitty Southern Baptist traditional church. I got to go to my first deacon's meeting. <laughs> they told me I couldn't say butt. And I'm sitting there thinking, I walked through a cloud of smoke that you guys produced in the parking lot while you were, and you're telling me I can't say butt. <laughs> okay, anyway, so, but I was talking about evangelism that night because I love seeing people give their lives to Jesus. And I, I preached my guts out, and I was like, we're going to reach this entire town. Da, 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 da. We're going to go out, and Jesus said, go make disciples. Na, 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 na. And I remember after the service, one of the matriarchs in the church came up to speak to me. And she said, Perry, I found your sermon fascinating tonight. I was like, well, thank you. And she said, I don't think you understand how we do things around here. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't understand a lot at that church. God... Thank you for that church. They were so patient with me in many ways. But she looked at me and she said, we don't really want other people here. And I laughed. And she didn't. I said, like, what do you mean you don't want people here? She said, we're a small group of people. Everybody knows everybody. And we love each other. And I think that's what church is supposed to be. Okay. And I left scratching my head going, I don't think she's read her Bible. <laughs> she, there are churches in America today. I'm, none of them are here, I'm sure. There are churches in America today way more concerned about the insider than they are the outsider. You know what I'm saying? And you say, where do you get this from this text? Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going with what Jesus said. Jesus said, I was a stranger. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Are strangers welcome in your church? I'm talking strangers welcome in your church. You want, listen, every pastor and staff member, I want you to listen to me. You want to do something that will stretch your faith and test you beyond anything you've ever imagined? Go to another church on a Sunday about 50 to 100 miles away from your church where you don't know anyone and show up as a visitor and see how you feel. I've done that before. I, I went to church, me and my wife went to a church one time and I, I was walking in. I was like, I'm going to be good today. I said, I'm not going to evaluate anything. I said, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to sit down. And she looked at me like, you are stupid. And so anyway, I, <laughs> we walked in and the greeter the, the, the greeter, the greeter. And he was old. I'm talking he knew God when God was a baby old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he didn't say good morning. He didn't say anything. He just handed me, he just held the bulletin out. I went and I sat down. This is a true story. I went and I sat down. Lucretia had to go to the restroom. I went. I walked about three-fourths of the way down. I sat down in the pew. The guy next to me did this. He went and got up and moved. <laughs> what the heck is going on? And I left that day thinking, if this is my first time in the church, I ain't coming back to church. Can strangers show up to your church? Or do we have churches that, that absolutely organize themselves around the personal preference of the already convinced? Because listen, I know people that go, well, we've got, we got a small church and we, we're just, we haven't grown in 30 years, but we just love each other. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you love each other. But nowhere in Scripture does God ever commend the church that doesn't reach people for Christ. In fact, I would say we've been given the gospel. Would you agree with me that that's a priceless treasure? So in the parable of the talents, you had somebody with five and three and one, and master comes back and he rewards five and rewards three. And with the person that buried the talent, he called them not faithful, he called them wicked and lazy. I think a lot of churches are going to stand before God one day and be called wicked and lazy because 
we organize ourselves around the preferences of the already convinced. I mean, you gotta, you, I mean, listen, take a risk. Every once in a while, I have this thought. We got to piss off the religious people. How are we going to do that? A few years ago, I was thinking about it because Easter was coming. You know, and we weren't going to do the ribbon dancers, Arise, my love. Arise, my love. Arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. That's going to be on freaking YouTube. Bye. So I'm praying one morning. I'm like, God, how are we going to start this thing out? I'm in my basement. I got my iPod. I'm lifting weights. The song by ACDC, Highway to Hell, comes on. I said, that'll do it. Now, I know, I know you shouldn't listen to ACDC when you're working out, but I do, and it's awesome. A couple years ago, we started out Easter with Highway to Hell. It was awesome. The emails the next week, I came to church on Easter, had my hat on, my husband had his pastels, I didn't want to hear about no Highway to Hell. But that Easter, we had a drug dealer show up at this church. During that song, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to his heart and said, that's the highway you're on. And he gave his life to Christ that day. You got to do things. I mean, you got to be willing to get uncomfortable. Listen, listen, listen. We've done some things that make me uncomfortable. Me, uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with the way some of our worship leaders dress. Skinny jeans? I ain't about to put on a pair of skinny jeans. Some of y'all are like, thank God. Some of these guys wear scarves. It's real cute, Elizabeth and Craig. Where are Elizabeth and Craig? Elizabeth and Craig right there, they're engaged. And they're both worship leaders, so he can borrow her scarves. It's great. I mean, it's just, it works out so good for them. I'm not comfortable with that. The, the band has done songs before that I'm sitting right there on the front row, and I'm like. And my wife looking at me going, you like that song? I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> not about me. I don't even know what this means. Because I realize church isn't about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about what can we do to reach people. Well, you're watering down the gospel. How do you water down the gospel? Because of the music you do? Well, Jesus told stories all the time. Did he water down the gospel? Well, our church is deep. You're so deep you don't reach anybody. Congratulations. Our church is into disciple-making. If you're not making disciples that make disciples, you're not making disciples. Because the number one commission of a disciple is to go make disciples. Yeah, disciples aren't measured by their knowledge. If they were, Satan would be the most discipled person in the universe. Disciples are measured by, are we obeying Jesus? And the first thing he gave us to obey was to go make disciples. You can't have a disciple without a convert. We've got to get uncomfortable. Well, what about the mature people, Perry, in the church? Well, you know what I've discovered about mature people? They give up their rights first. That's what my wife and I did when my little girl was born. Lucretia and I have a little girl named Karis. When she was born, we never had the conversation in the living room. You know what, baby? I'm a little inconvenienced by this girl. (laughs) She's not very considerate. She cries in the middle of the night. She crapped on me today. She vomits. 
she passes gas in public in weird places. Like, oh, look at your baby. Oh, yes. And Lucretia, she's cute enough, but she's just not fitting in. Why don't we just put her out of the house until she matures? We do that, she dies. Why are so many young Christians dying on the vine? Because older Christians refuse to embrace the maturity and go, I'll do whatever it takes to make you comfortable and reach you and disciple you for Christ. Mature people are the first ones to give up their rights. And listen, listen, listen. Pastors, I just want to set you free. Who emails you and complains that the music's too loud? It's the insider. The outsider is like, crank it up. Who emails you to complain about the secular song? By the way, music is not secular. Jesus did not die to save music. Jesus died to save people. Everything can be redeemed and used by God. But who's going to email? Why did we sing that song on Sunday? It's not the lost person. It's the, well, maybe, saved person. I'm just saying, our churches have to be places that are arranged to reach out to outsiders rather than when you understand us, you can be one of us. That hadn't worked. Number three, number three. We must help people establish a new identity. We must help people establish a new identity. And while you're writing that down, Always, always be willing to explain yourself, but don't feel like you have to defend yourself when you're reaching outsiders. Number three, we, we must help people establish a new identity. Now, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, um, I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Then he said, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. Now, in Zechariah 3, what does God do for the priest? He gives him a brand new robe. He clothes him. I was reading John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Um, Isn't that great that Jesus never went to a funeral? Isn't that awesome? Jesus never went to a funeral. Every funeral he went to, he shut it down. He shut it down. He shut it down. And that's why people go, Perry, you know, churches are shutting down all over America. What's going on? I'm like, Jesus is shutting down funerals. He always shuts the funeral down. He always shuts the funeral down. Church, we're supposed to celebrate. You understand, we're supposed to be celebrating when we come to church. We're reverent. Don't confuse reverence with rigor mortis. Big difference. <laughs> Big difference. The angels are reverent, and they celebrate. Anyway, I, it's not even the point. Y'all listen. He, John chapter 11, Jesus shows up and tells, tells me, take, take the rock away. And she's like, but he'll stink. And he's like, did I not tell you? I love those four. Did I? not tell you. Can you see Jesus saying, did I not tell you? Did I He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out and he's, he's all, you know, busted up in his grave clothes. And then Jesus says this phrase. He says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Which is a reminder to me that Jesus don't want people just to come out of the tomb. He wants them to have a brand new identity and he wants us as the church to teach them to take off their grave clothes. Now, I love that. Because we got to, because you know what the church has gravitated towards, and I'm talking about this to my church on Sunday. You know what we've gravitated towards? We've gravitated towards teaching them to identify themselves with what they do rather than who Christ is. And so we have a bunch of really legalistic people that run around and don't go to rated R movies unless they're about Jesus, and they don't smoke, and they don't drink, and they don't chew, and they don't go with girls that do. And so that's that's what they brag about. We've taught, the church has taught people to brag about their self-righteousness and their self-righteous acts, and then they always feel like they fall short, and the reason they feel like they fall short is because they do, because we're approved by God because we're, because of our position as his children and not our performance as his children. And so we've got to teach people, you are brand new in Christ, and it has nothing to do with what you do, it has everything to do with who you are in Jesus. Y'all know there's a cuss word in the Bible. No, there's not. Oh, yeah, there, oh, there he is. Now, I know you didn't learn about this in flannel graph Sunday school. I know you didn't learn it because you can't, you can't flannel graph this. I mean, you could. But Paul found his identity in his religion. And then he got saved. And let me, let me just read you this. This is out of Philippians chapter 3. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just, 
It's just the word of God written by, the, by God through Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. Am I nervous? Good. Paul said in verse 4 of Philippians 3, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, ouch, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, that word means blogger, as for zeal... (laughs) As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness faultless. Paul was the guy that bragged about how good he was. I've met, have you met people like this? I met a guy one time, I wanted to go to Applebee's. He said, I cannot go to Applebee's. Dude, why not? They have a bar. That's why I want to go to Applebee's. All right, where you want to go? Fats. Okay, well, I like fats. But fats has a bar. I know. But it's not in the middle of the restaurant. Oh! So God would kill us for going to Applebee's, but he would smile on going to I don't, but people make up rules like that, don't they? They make, I've had people going, you should not listen to Eminem. I like him. He's an angry white boy. <laughs> I mean, he's angry. I've literally had this conversation. And so, I, I, what do you listen to? Well, I don't listen to that. Okay, what CD is in your CD player right now? Garth Brooks. That's better. Mama's in the graveyard, Papa's in the pen. You want to talk about what that song's about? (laughs) Where in the world did we get the idea that you can't listen to Eminem, but you can listen to Garth Brooks? And then we teach people, by the way, I like them both. I think they should do a concert together. (laughs) On this stage. (laughs) That'd be amazing. (laughs) But Paul said, "I I was that guy. And then the scripture goes on to say this, but whatever was for, for my, to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. Rubbish. In the Greek, that word is skubala. Everybody say skubala on three. One, two, three. Scubala. Y'all just cussed. Scubala. You know what that word is? Let me spell it for you. Starts with an S, ends with a T, has an H-I in the middle. Now, I know there's some people you had not got it yet. You're going S. It's hard to receive for some of us, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit of God penned that word in the Bible because that's what he thinks about religion and people who identify themselves with self-righteous acts. How weird is that? Yeah, I've got a a three-and-a-half-year-old girl. We we potty trained her about a year ago, year and a half, two years ago. I I don't know. She might have been potty trained when she came out. It's all a blur. You know what I'm talking about, parents? It's all a blur. And you remember when you're potty training your kid how stupid you, you just, you just do stupid things. So when they crap in the pot, what do you do? You celebrate. (laughs) Woo! Look at that! You're like twit picking it, you know what I'm saying? You're calling grandma. Grandma! She crapped in the pot! You don't do this anywhere else. In your church office. You don't do that? I would fire somebody if they followed me out of the bathroom going, Pastor P! Woo! (laughs) You doing? 
But we celebrate that, don't we? We celebrate that. That's why people laugh at the church so much is because we celebrate the scubula in people's lives. Oh, you use that version of the Bible. Way to go. Oh, you wear those kind of clothes. Oh, you do this. Oh, you do that. We celebrate the scubula. We've got to stop bringing the scubula in the church house. How weird would that be if I invited you to dinner to my house and you showed up with a big box and you said, I brought you a present, Pastor P. And I said, like, what'd you bring me? And you say, me and my family have crapped in this box all week long. We want to give it to you. I would punch you in your throat. And then I would... You can't bring crap to my house and expect me to, bring, to celebrate you. And you can't bring crap to the house of God and expect him to celebrate you either. Because... Our identity is not in our righteous works. Our identity is in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He has completely forgiven us. We are valuable in him. We are chosen in him. We are unconditionally loved for him. And you get a group of people understanding that Jesus died for their sins, and they are saved. They are totally forgiven. They are valuable in the sight of God. They are unconditionally loved in the sight of God, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, that Jesus has paid for sin, past, present, and future. You have an unstoppable church with an unstoppable message. Complete forgiveness in Christ, not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. We've got to stop celebrating scuba. We've got to teach people about things like their chosen, valuable love. We've got to teach them things like spiritual gifts. Now, it gets nervous when you talk about spiritual gifts. Because all the Baptists are like, we talk about spiritual gifts, we've got to talk about tongues. It's in the Bible. You scared to talk about stuff in the Bible? I'm from a Baptist background. We didn't talk about tongues. We didn't raise our hands and worship either. I mean, we did sometimes. Baptists, in, in really powerful worship moments, they would do this. <laughs> I mean, the first time I went to church, I was like, that dude got something on his hands. Every once in a while, you'd see him start doing this. Deacon comes over and pulls it out. <laughs> you teach somebody that they're forgiven in Christ. They are valuable in Christ. I mean, you've heard it said before. I'll say it again. The value of someone is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for them. If God was willing to send his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for them, that makes them valuable and priceless. You teach them they're unconditionally loved. You teach them they have a spiritual gift, and they were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, and their identity is in that and not what they do. Oh, my gosh. And I'm not just picking on the Baptist. Pentecostals talk about tongues too much. You, you do. Like, people are like, shut up talking about tongues. Just shut up. You've got to find their identity in who he is and not who we are. Number four, number four, number four. We must help people. As, uh, no, that was number three. I'm sorry. Number four, we must be patient with people as they develop spiritually. We must be patient with people as they develop spiritually. Now, y'all, we got some freaks in our church. I don't know if you got weird people in your church. We got straight up weird people in this church. Like, every Sunday, I stand and watch people come in and go, and look at that freak right there. <laughs> look at that guy. And I'm just talking about our staff showing up. I'm not even talking about the people. I'm just talking about the staff. <laughs> guy's wearing a scarf. Anyway, I, I talk. I talk. <laughs> Jesus said this. Jesus said this. He said, he said, um, I was sick and you looked after me. He separated the sheep and the goats by the ones that look care, took care of sick people and the ones that didn't take care of sick people. I was sick and you looked after me. You know what? Sick people require patience. And we have sick people, spiritually sick people showing up at our church every week. How patient are we with those people? Because you know what I've learned? People don't heal many times as fast as we want them to. You cannot take people through a seven-week Bible study and at the end of that seven weeks teach them, now that you've been through this seven-week Bible study, you've got to get over the fact that you were molested the first 18 years of your life. 
People show up in our church with junk and they're sick. What do we do with that? We're patient with them. We take care of sick people. Karen's my little girl. I remember the first time she got sick ever. It was a Sunday morning. We didn't have church on a Sunday morning. It was Christmas. And we, had done, we had done all these Christmas services, so we canceled church on a Sunday, and I'm sure we're going to hell for that. But anyway, we, and so I went. Lucretia got to sleep in that morning. I went in to get Karis out of bed. And I, I remember I walked in the room, and when I opened the room, the smell, I was like, what? Has, oh, my gosh. This is awful. And I walked around the corner, and there was Karis in her bed, and she was sitting in the middle of just vomit everywhere. I'm talking chunky vomit. <laughs> I know some of y'all have really weak stomachs, and I've been told I could get $100 if I can make somebody throw up. So I'm going to talk about this for a little while longer. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. And she holds her arms out, and just covered in vomit, and goes, Daddy. Now, if I would have treated her like church people would have treated her, I'd have been like, oh, freak! Here, get, get, get out of here. Go, go, go get clean. Then you can come back in the house. Because we don't want any sick people in here. Now, I would never do that to my daughter. But you let a gay person show up at your church Sunday. Could a gay person come to your church? Some people can't handle that. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, this is my, this is my partner. This is my friend. Ah, gayness! <laughs> You're gay! Gay! <laughs> what if they looked at us and went, You eat too much! to talk about the sins we don't commit, don't we? We don't kick sick people out of the house. We understand that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be that sick person. Hey, I was that sick person. So were you. I wasn't that bad. No, the Bible says in Ephesians 3 that you were dead. Okay, well, I went to church. Okay, it was weekend at Bernie's. Great. That is awesome. If you're under 35, you didn't get that. Google that later. What is it the Bible says in Romans 2? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God. You mean I got to be kind to sick people? He was kind to you. Let's say in 2 Peter that God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The church has the biggest impact when we're more like Jesus with kindness and patience. People got to learn to walk. You didn't yell at your six-month-old because they couldn't run, did you? But we do it in the church. I know ministry's messy. I know ministry's messy. If you're a pastor and you go out in the community, you don't have normal conversations, do you? Hey, pastors, let's just be honest, since this is a conference. On Sunday after church, all the normal people go home. Don't they? Everybody else comes talks to you. And you don't have normal conversations, do you? You've never had somebody call you on your cell phone going, Pastor... Man, I just want you to know today I'm loving my wife like Christ loves the church. I have read my Bible. I have prayed for you as the man of God, and I wanted to affirm you today. Everything is great in my life. You've never had that, have you? No, you go into Waffle House and sit down with your kid, and somebody sits down at your table. How you doing? Pastor, I've been smoking crack. And looking at pictures of naked people. <laughs> Just a waffle. Right. 
could you take the salt and the sugar off the table? They might sniff it. <laughs> Ministry is messy. You know, on Sundays, we've gone out in the parking lot, and there's been beer cans. People showed up. Man, I was at the Christmas service, and there's a girl in our church. She tricked her mom and her mom's gay friend and said, I've got a special surprise for y'all. Y'all need to come with me. And they were like, oh, they thought they were going to Walmart. They had been out drinking all night. She brought them to church, and they sat right up there in the balcony. The music was loud. Homeboy had a hangover. I sat right there, and they sat there like this the whole time. <laughs> they heard the gospel. They heard the gospel. We've had kids freak out in the parking lot. We were watching the kid one time. He was losing his mind because he had to leave. True story. And the, mom, the dad was like, come on. Come on, you're leaving. I want to go to church. And he's like, come on. And the little kid said, I want to go back to the damn church. <laughs> you can't get mad at that. We hired that kid on the spot. We made it the slogan of our children's ministry. I want to go back to the end. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. See, let me ask you this question. If a kid freaked out and said that in your parking lot, would you laugh like that? Or would you say, somebody needs to talk to that kid about his language. Somebody needs to talk to that little boy's daddy because he's going to start cussing. All the church kids are going to cuss. And all the church kids cuss anyway. Can sick people show up at your church? And will you be paid? Because you know what? It might take 20 years. It might take 20 years for them to heal. It might take 30 years for them to heal. You might not ever get to see them heal this side of eternity. Can they show up at your church? God help the church that they can't show up in. Because Jesus was patient with us. We got to be patient with people. Number five, this is it. We must make it our mission, we must make it our mission to proclaim freedom in Christ. We must make it our mission to proclaim freedom in Christ. Um, reading through the Gospels, I was completely captivated by a passage of Scripture um, probably about seven or eight months ago, and it's just it's deeply impacted me personally. Um, somebody put on Twitter probably about two weeks ago this little red band that is on my um, arm. They're like, I wish I knew what that little red band on Perry's arm said. I'm like, it's amazing what people pick up online. Um, it says Hosanna. It says Hosanna. And I passed these bracelets out in our church. In fact, you'll see some of our volunteers and even staff members with them on today. And it comes from um, the, the scriptures where Jesus is getting ready to walk into Jerusalem about a week before he's crucified. And they're singing Hosanna. In fact, I'll, I'll read the scriptures to you. Um, the Bible says a very large crowd spared their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Now, Hosanna, the word literally means please save or save now. Please save or save now. And it's kind of funny because the Israelites, they were looking for a political savior. They were in bondage to the nation of Rome, and they had taken all the Old Testament scriptures, and they had said that one day the Messiah will actually be a political savior. They didn't understand then, like many of us don't understand today, that Jesus always wants to save us from more than we actually think we need to be saved from. And so Jesus is coming into town, and they're screaming at him, Hosanna, 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 which literally means please save or save now. In other words, we are tired of being oppressed. And every Sunday, whether we know it or not, and many times whether they know it or not, we have people sitting in the seats or sitting in the pews or whatever method you have, and they're singing in their hearts. They're crying out, Hosanna, please save, save, save now. They're not looking for a cause like I started out with. They're looking for a Savior. The Bible goes on to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They're screaming to be saved. People need to be rescued. This goes back to the story where Jesus says, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, if you're in prison, some of you may have been in prison. Don't raise your hand. But if you're in prison, what do you think the ultimate goal of somebody in prison is? Get out. Some of y'all answered that quick. Get out. If I'm in prison, I want to get out. 
People in prison, ultimately, in their heart, they desire to get out. And there are people in prison every week showing up in our church, screaming Hosanna, desiring to get out. And it's our job as the church to proclaim freedom in Christ and to tell them, you can get out of that prison. You can escape that bondage that you're in. You can, you can, you can. It's kind of like, remember the miners that were trapped in, the, in Chile? Remember that? And the miners are trapped in Chile. And what did the world do? The world rallied around a rescue operation. The world rallies around a rescue operation, and people literally come from all over the world. And there wasn't a committee sitting on the side going, how much is it going to cost? Oh, you're going to pay. Your church is paying for something. Your church is either paying for a rescue operation or a museum preservation and you're going to have to decide today where that money goes because the museum preservation is going to burn with the earth and the rescue operation is something that's actually going to last for eternity. We've got to invest in a rescue operation. That's why we invest in children's ministry here. You've heard me, if you've been at Unleashed before, you know me, I talk about this. That's why we invest in children's op ministry. It's a rescue operation. That's why our youth don't have to go to Krispy Kreme and get 500 dozen donuts and sit out in front of a Walmart. We freaking pay for what they need. We do it because that's a rescue operation. Screw the organ and the stained glass windows. We're going to invest in what matters. Anyway. Now let me ask you a question. What if the people actually doing the digging for the miners? What if they're out there and they got shovels and they're digging, digging, somebody stops and goes... Let's talk about this for a minute. Are they down there because they were predestined to be there? <laughs> or they made bad choices? Let's talk about that. And somebody else over here digging and said, well, now that you mention that, I don't like the music they're playing back there on the, on the, on the iPod. And somebody else stopped and said, well, I don't like the way any of y'all are dressed. And they started arguing, you know what? We would call that cruel and unusual because there's people that need to be rescued. In today's church, we call it church. When people are crying out to be rescued. Let me close with this. I want you to imagine something with me. I've always read Acts 2. And I've always thought this thought, how amazing would it be to see 3,000 people saved in one day? And if you're a pastor, I, I know you've, you've had that thought, haven't you? 3,000 people in one day. And God told me right before this conference, you can If we all went back to our church this Sunday and preached the gospel, it might not be 3,000. We could maybe see 30,000 people because Jesus said we could do greater things. Just a consideration, but pastor... Why don't you just consider scrapping everything Sunday and telling people that Jesus loves them, down on the cross for them, wants to save them, trust the Holy Spirit of God, give an invitation, and know that hundreds of other churches all over the world are doing the same. And we might not know the final number, but the angels in heaven will lose their minds celebrating because churches declared the gospel. Let's pray. Father, right now, God, I pray for every pastor. I pray for every youth pastor, worship leader, church leader, volunteer. God, thank you for the volunteers that came here today. God, I pray that all of us in our hearts and our minds would think about the people in our lives and the people in our churches that we know need to surrender their lives to Christ. 
And God, our prayer, our prayer for our churches, our prayer for our youth ministries, our prayer for our children's ministries, our prayer for everything that we do would literally be Hosanna. 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 Jesus, please save. Save now. Please save. Save now. Please save. Save the drug addict and save the religious person. God, please save and save now. Jesus, we want to declare your name and we want to see salvation. God, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we're standing in heaven. And the scriptures say that as far as the eye can see that people are coming from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language. And they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And it's because churches on this side of eternity were willing to stretch out their arms and cry out to the one who does save. Hosanna in this church, Jesus. Hosanna in this ministry. Jesus, we're asking you to please save. And we're asking you to please save now. God, in these next few moments, as we close and we sing and we worship you, God, may the cry of our hearts and may the cry of the rest of this day be Hosanna. In Jesus' name.